You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. The theme of light and darkness runs throughout all of Scripture, beginning in the first verses of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was unordered and uninhabited, and there were deep, disordered waters covered by darkness. But in the midst of those deep, dark, disordered waters, God is present, and he begins to bring order to the chaos. Into the darkness, God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. The opening verses of Genesis are reimagined in the scene in C.S. Lewis's book, The Magician's Nephew. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and from pink to gold. The voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun arose. God takes a dark, watery chaos and turns it into a place filled with light and life. A place where humans can flourish, living in perfect relationship with him. But it's not long until things start to unravel. In Genesis 3, Tish Harrison Warren writes, we watch with horror as sin enters the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Poison is poured into the stream of humanity and death breaks loose on earth. The wreckage is devastating and pervasive. Because of the fall, there is brokenness in our bodies, in our interior lives, in our relationships with each other, in nature, in culture, and in societal systems. The world has become dark, and our desires have become disordered. And we are now at odds with others and with God himself. But then, still in Genesis 3, verses 15, we get a glimpse of hope. To the snake, God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's this very strange but beautiful promise. One day, a descendant from the woman would come who is going to rescue humanity from the darkness. This first whisper of the gospel, a foreshadowing of the good news to come. But in the meantime, the rebellion of Adam and Eve has infected everyone, and the Old Testament traces the downward spiral of humanity, each story underlining the same basic idea. When humans stop trusting God, when they define good and evil on their own terms, it results in a world of tragedy and death. While it seemed like God's whole plan was lost, There was this group of people called prophets who revealed promises to God's people of one who was coming, who would restore what had been broken. In the midst of a period of chaos and conflict, darkness and despair, one specific prophet named Isaiah tells us more about this king who would bring light into the darkness. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. These words echo the words of creation. The God who brought light into the darkness in the beginning had a plan to do it again. Darkness, or the absence of light, is more than just a physical reality of our universe. In scripture, darkness is also the realm of brokenness, sin, and deception associated with guilt, shame, and hiddenness. But the opposite is also true. Light, a reality beyond the physical, reveals. Light banishes darkness. Light is associated with life and with goodness. Isaiah 9 continues, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. A child is going to be born and his birth is going to, be mean, is going to mean light entering the world of darkness. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The one who will accomplish great wonder. Mighty God and everlasting Father. The child to be born would be the very embodiment of the mighty God and the Father of eternity. And Prince of Peace, the one who reigns and who will bring wholeness to what is broken. We read these words today, today and know who this child is. We know this is Jesus, the promised Messiah, but this promise comes during a period of Israel's history spoken 700 years before the birth of Christ. We enter the story and are invited to embody the longing for and the anticipation of the coming king. Though now we know the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' first coming, we are invited to enter into the confusion, the longing, the frustration, a sense of dreams deferred that people of Israel felt year after year, generation after generation. Christmas calls out calls us out of our moment in time to not only remember, but to join the people of Israel in their waiting for the coming Messiah. Christmas calls us to face the darkness and see the light that overcomes. Christmas calls us to invite the light of Christ into our lives beyond this holiday season. We prepare for the hope of Christmas by waiting on the dark streets of Bethlehem, our eyes straining to see a glimpse of the dawning of the everlasting light. For centuries, beginning in Genesis 3, God continued to reveal his plans and promises. These promises throughout scripture pointed to a savior who would deliver the world from the bondage of sin and establish God's kingdom on earth. For 400 years, God spoke no prophetic words or encouragement to his people. Darkness and despair continued to rule the land. Year after year, generation after generation, God's people were invited to trust that God was still there, even when he seemed so distant. In the silence and the darkness, things felt hopeless. And in the middle of the waiting, God's people were to trust the prophesied promise. It had been 400 years of silence when an angel appeared with an, an, an announcement from God. After 400 years, what compelled God to break his silence? The Messiah, the promised king, light was coming. God breaks the silence to a young, unknown peasant woman. Her name was Mary. Her people had been suffering under pagan rule and find themselves dominated by the most powerful empire of the age. In this land 
of deep darkness, God breaks the silence with light. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. When we hear this angelic announcement, we likely know this is the story of Jesus and know that this is great news. But Gabriel was met with confusion and skepticism from Mary. Imagine, she's maybe about 16 years old. She's engaged to be married but isn't yet. And an angel appears with an announcement that was not only unexpected, it was seemingly impossible. She was supposed to have a baby. But not only is Mary unmarried, she is a virgin. And she's supposed to have a baby? That's literally impossible. And so it's no wonder she asks, how could this happen? It would take a miracle. Mary was not the first to have a miraculous encounter about bearing children. In fact, there are seven miraculous birth accounts in the Bible. Interestingly, in scripture, seven is the number of completeness, and it often references a holy number. The first six of these encounters occurred as the result of some unusual circumstances, such as pregnancies to women who were well past childbearing age or to women who were barren. The seventh miraculous birth, the final one found in scripture, the one of completeness that echoes the seven days of creation that results in life is reserved for the announcement of the birth of Jesus. God speaks a miraculous birth announcement unlike any heard before. Mary would have a child who would be conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. Though at first a skeptic, a skeptic, Mary's response to God's invitation is an unreserved yes. Mary, in faith, did as the Lord commanded, humbly submitting herself to God's will. Yet Mary was not alone in this promise. Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, was known as a righteous man, and at the news of her pregnancy, he, he considered calling off the marriage. As one who obeyed the law, Joseph could not take Mary as his wife since she was suspected of living in sin. His plan was to call off the wedding quietly, not drawing attention to the, or to shame Mary, but to just quietly call off the wedding. He knew that being pregnant under these circumstances could permanently ruin both of their reputations. Those around him would have affirmed his right to cancel the wedding. But as he considers to call off the engagement, Gabriel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. As Mary's fiance, Joseph was just as chosen as she was. And his quiet sense of honor may be one of the reasons God chose him. Joseph, in faith, did as the Lord commanded, humbly submitting himself to God's will. He was willing to let his expectations of his life and his marriage be changed by God. What Gabriel shared with Mary and Joseph was exactly what God's people had been waiting for. The child Isaiah had written about 700 years earlier, the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. 
It just took a minute for these soon-to-be parents to process what was happening. Despite all that was on the line, socially and culturally, Mary and Joseph both realized that the angel's news wasn't an inconvenience or a burden. It was the good news that they had been long awaiting. The yes of Mary and Joseph changed everything. Just a small moment in time for each of them, yet its significance cannot be overstated. In this moment, Mary and Joseph become, became God's partners in his plan to usher in the restoration of all creation. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and the prophets, to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. In the darkness we were waiting. It had been 700 years since Isaiah's prophecy that the light would come. Centuries later, Jesus, from his throne of glory, enters our world to fulfill God's promise not as the expected triumphant king, but as a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, a cradle in the dirt. Most of us are very familiar with this story of the manger, at least visually. Everything is picturesque. There's a star, a star above a stable surrounded by angels with shepherds and flocks of lots of animals, and Mary and Joseph and a baby wrapped in cloth. They're centered around him, celebrating his birth. But I wonder if our familiarity with this scene keeps us from experiencing the message fully. Tish Harrison Warren explains, we are so familiar with the story that we fail to notice the depth of pain chaos and danger of the world into which Jesus was born. Christmas, with its compulsory jollification and insistence on being the hap happiest seasons of all, devolves into escapism if we do not first take note of the darkness in the world and in our own lives. In Luke chapter two, the stage is set for us to understand this historic ache of the people of Israel. Israel was ruled and governed by Rome, an empire that perpetuated the suffering of the people in their midst, and it governed with fear. This leads us to the census. At this time, a census was not taken to generate the boring statistics that you read, that the government of Canada tells you about how many people, I don't, know, I don't even know what they do because we don't even read them. And you don't even know that you probably do them because you just click some boxes. It's not that kind of census. A census was used as a fear tactic to keep everyone in the Roman Empire in line. It was a way to keep tabs on where people were and what they were doing. This was a time of great danger. And every time there was a census, there were riots, chaos, and people got killed. The people of Israel were weary, eager to know that their pain would end, that these prophecies spoken long ago would give way to the fulfillment of the promise that a king would come and bring an end to this continuous suffering. It is in this context that Mary and Joseph were required to travel to Bethlehem to complete the census. 
And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Luke tells us there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn. An inn in the first century house typically meant an upper room or guest space meant for you to have guests in your house. But it's the time of the census and many travelers had come to Bethlehem and so it's no surprise that all the guest spaces are full. And because of this, it is most likely that Mary and Joseph had to stay in the basement of someone's home, a common place where the animals lived. We jump to the conclusion that it was a stable because of the mention of a manger, but it simply suggests it's a place where the animals were present. In the dirt next to the animals, Mary would give birth to her firstborn son. The story of the manger is about more than a baby being born. It's a story of promises fulfilled, darkness being overcome, and peace having the final word. It's about a God who loves us so much He came into the world, a father who wants to make sure we can see his loving and living flesh. It's about being rescued from the darkness and despair of our own lives. N.T. Wright states, it's about God addressing these problems at last, from within, coming into our world, his world, and shouldering the burden of authority, coming to deal with the problems of evil, of chaos and violence and oppression in all their horrible forms. And when we look hard at those promises and come to grips with what they really mean, are we able to grasp the real comfort and joy that Christmas truly does provide? The Christmas season holds many things for many people. For some, it's about the lights, the decorations, the trees and the stockings, the brown paper packages tied up with string, a season that's joyful and triumphant, But the reality is that for most of us, Christmas never feels like this. Christmas is often busy, it's chaotic. People forget how to park in parking lots. I don't know if you've been out in the stores lately, but it's wild. The streets are filled with people and there are a million last minute deals that have been going on for weeks. But deeper than this, it stirs up disappointment, heartache, sorrow, a deep awareness that things are simply not okay. And we wrestle to enter fully into the Christmas season of hope and joy and peace and love. And yet, isn't that the beautiful part of this whole story? We don't know how to hold the hope and the broken, the joy and the sorrow, the peace and the pain, the love and the loss, so he did it for us. The coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, shows us that the intersection of our need and our pain is an invitation to meet God. Not arriving in a way anyone thought he would or could or even should. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace has come. He has come to a world full of brokenness. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. He has come to bring the kingdom's purpose till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. He has come to be the light overcoming the darkness, a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. A night so long ago, still bringing the thrill of hope to the weary world. 
Would you let your soul see him and find its worth in him? Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. To fall on my knees and witness angel voices and celebrate the night when Christ was born. When he appeared, God in flesh, Jesus with skin on his face, would it bring you to your knees in awe and worship? In a season of waiting and desiring, of hoping and longing, we come to the manger, our hearts filled with hope. And we invite Christ, the light of the world, to come again into our lives and into our beautiful but dark and broken world. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.